Well, today we are picking up with week two of five things that God uses to grow our faith. And we're going to pick it up exactly how we left it off last week with this question. What would your life look like if you had perfect faith in God? What would your life look like if you had perfect faith in God? What if you always trusted God when things looked dark? What if you had enough trust to believe that God, God has what's best for you in the face of temptation? What if you add absolute certainty as you walk to work and into your school and in your neighborhood that God is with you? See, here's one thing that I know for sure, that if that was true for you, your life would be better. Your faith in God would not only be stronger, but your life, the way you live life and the way you approach faith and the way that you approach everything would actually be better. Better. Your singleness would be less anxious. Your marriage would be stronger. Your parenting would feel a little less chaotic. And your relationship with God would be the healthiest that it's ever been. Your relationships at work would be better. Your focus on your career, your ability to make decisions would all be better if you simply had the confidence every single moment that God is with you that if you had perfect faith. But since none of us have will get to perfect faith, many of us give up on the idea of growing faith. But what we talked about last week is the idea that God wants to grow your faith and that God wants to grow my faith. Because humanity's problems, as we said last week, they all began with a lack of trust. And simultaneously with Jesus's work on the cross, the way back to life as we were created for is found through trust. So God's goal for you is not, and it never has been simply for you to understand him or to obey him. His goal has always been that you would trust him that you would trust him and that I would trust him. And obedience, it flows out of trust. And understanding, it flows out of trust. That they would be the byproducts of a trust relationship with God. That they would be the byproducts of our growing faith in God. And in order for, to get that growing, strengthening, deepening faith in God, I believe there are some consistent things. And as we talked about last week, there's some consistent things that God will use over time throughout the course of our lives to grow and strengthen and deepen our faith and our trust in him. And I introduced you to this list last week. I'm just going to revisit it at the top. Here's the list that it's practical teaching, private disciplines, providential relationships, pivotal circumstances, and personal ministry, that God will use and leverage each of these five things throughout the course of your life to establish and deepen and grow and strengthen your faith in him, your trust in him, and the way that you walk out your life in response to your faith and your trust in him. And so because we want to understand how these things work, we want to talk for a few weeks about how we can leverage these things and how we can understand these things and how we can make sure that we don't get in the way of God using these things to grow and deepen our faith in him. Today, we're going to spend a little bit of time in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 5 through 7 contains uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and it was a doozy. It was, I mean, it was a doozy of a sermon. Most people believe that if this sermon was to be preached the way Jesus preached this sermon uh, today, that this would take somewhere between four and five hours to preach. I mean, just imagine you would have logged off of YouTube. You would have clicked out of Facebook. You would be having the little thing down in the corner while you're surfing and finding everybody else's stuff on, like, while, while, while you know, listening, listening to the sermon in the background, like, because we all, that's kind of how we all do this, right? Like, so, you, you, so, so Jesus is preaching for somewhere between four and five hours on a mountainside uh, on, uh, in, in, in nature, in, in the, in the middle of the desert on this mountainside. That's where Jesus is preaching this. And this sermon was like, Jesus did something that I, really, it's, it's not recorded much in, in history, anything like this. Jesus had unloaded onto those listening, anyone wondering what it would be like to follow him, what it would look like to actually follow him, what it would actually look like to do the things that he wanted to have done, to live out his kingdom principles, to, to what, what it would be like to be a Jesus follower and to live as a Jesus follower. And so what he had taught, how he thought people should think and how people should live, he had given them an entirely new system 
an entirely new system of morality and an entirely different way of thinking about the world. See, up until that point, the religious system of law had turned most people into well-educated loophole finders. Anyone watching, maybe maybe you are a well-educated or maybe not even a well-educated, but you are a great loophole finder. You are a great loophole finder in what your parents told you to do growing up. You're still a great loophole finder in what work tells you to do. Like that, we're, that all of us have a tendency where, the, where there's law and there's rules and law and rules. All of us have a tendency to become great loophole finders. See, a loophole finder, a loophole finder is someone who is someone who lives like this. A loophole finder is the person who looks for ways to get out of doing what's expected and looks for ways where what's told to them does not apply to them and spends time figuring out just how much they can get away with before it becomes sin or before it becomes a problem. The world at the time of Jesus, much like the world is today, was full of loophole finders. And onto that world, onto that world, Jesus said things like this. He said, lust is just like adultery, and it is a sin. If you hate someone in your heart, Jesus said, if you hate someone in your heart, it's as bad as murdering them. And we're all, after those two, we're all kind of looking around and we're like, uh, boy, that's, that's a different set of rules, Jesus. He said to turn the other cheek when someone harms you. He said, don't pray for the attention of other people. Pray privately for the reward from God. He said, if someone wants a favor, do more than he asks. And this was big because Roman officers would ask someone to walk with them one mile. And Jesus says, like, look, what they're asking for you, it's unfair. It's unfair. It doesn't apply. I mean, it, it has no benefit. But when someone asks you to go one, you go two. If someone asks for your, for your shoes, you give them your coat. Like, you do more than what's asked of you. Money, he said, money, just give it away. Didn't, didn't even give him a percentage. Didn't say stop at 10%. Didn't say stop at 50. He said, just money, just give it away. It doesn't matter. Whoa, that's interesting. He said, forgive no matter what. Even if it feels like you're letting people get away with something, you forgive anyway. He said, don't worry about your own needs because God will provide for you. He said, find people who have wronged you and you work to make it right because that matters in your relationship with other people and your relationship with God. He said, treat everyone the way that you want to be treated. Like Jesus took what they believed about, you know, okay, this is how the rules are and this is what we're supposed to do. We find loopholes and we find ways around it and we find how this doesn't apply to us and we do what we can do. We do our best and to, to, not, to not do the worst and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, 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 we're doing so good. To those people, Jesus gave this list of things that, and th these types of rules, these types of commands, these types of instructions to all the people like you and me who tend to look for loopholes and try to figure out how much we can get away with before we start to be bad, Jesus flipped everything upside down. Instead of how much can we get away with before we're bad, how much can we do before we reach a problem, Jesus said, why don't you eliminate any kind of bad so that you can live for the ultimate good? Jesus said, why, like, why don't you take, why, why don't you take a, a, the view that you can eliminate any kind of bad so that you can actually live for what's best. See, I've said this before, but I think we need to be constantly reminded of this. Jesus did not come to lower the bar of human behavior. Jesus did not come to lower the bar on human behavior. Jesus raised the bar so high that even the best of us couldn't possibly measure up. And then in his grace, in God's grace, Jesus laid down his life for all of the people who couldn't possibly measure up. This is the difficulty of Jesus. This is the difficulty of grace and truth, that Jesus was grace and truth personified, that he was truth who came to say, this is actually the standard and it's higher than you think and it's worse than you think and it's more difficult than you think to, be, to, to actually live this out. It's, there are no loopholes. He closed the loopholes. He said, there are no loopholes. There's simply the standard. He raised the standard higher than anyone at the time or anyone in the course of ever, ever thought that the standard should be. But then in his grace, he went to Calvary. He went to the cross and he 
laid down his life so that people who could not measure up could still know their heavenly father and be connected to him by Jesus' perfect life laid down on the cross. Jesus didn't come to lower the standard. Jesus raised the standard. And then Jesus died for all of us who could never meet the standard. And so here's the thing. So, so, so with that understanding, after this hours-long sermon of Jesus raising the standard and raising the standard and raising the standard and saying, here's what it actually looks like to follow God. After an hour-long sermon on that, where he'd raised the standard so high, everyone probably felt like a failure. Here's what Jesus said about what he had just said. Here's what we're told in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it. Would you write follows? If you're watching online right now, would you say follows? Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. See, Jesus said in order for his teaching to have impact, in order for you to understand and, and, and actually know why he's teaching what, he, what he's teaching, you have to do more than believe. You have to do something. You can't just believe. You've got to do something with what you've just heard. That hearing isn't enough. Understanding isn't enough. Belief isn't enough. Listening isn't enough. That in the doing, in the doing, we actually experience the goodness of what Jesus has to say for ourselves and for those around us. Andy Stanley recently, recently said this in a message, and I thought this was so, so beautiful in, in terms of what this said. He said, Christianity that has been reduced to merely believing things is a counterfeit Christianity. A faith that doesn't do anybody any good isn't any good. That faith matters, that hearing matters, that believing matters, that listening matters, that understanding the teaching of Jesus matters. But what he said and what Jesus said and what Andy Stanley said is simply this, that that is not enough. That if we actually want our lives to, 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 to reflect what Jesus has for us, we have to move beyond listening and hearing and believing and understanding to actually doing because there's power in the doing. Jesus went on to say, though the rain comes, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built, built on bedrock. So you want your life on a solid foundation? You want your life built on a solid foundation? A foundation that is so solid that when the storms of life come and the seasons of life change and when the circumstances of life get really difficult, that when that happens, your life and your faith stay solid. If you want your life built on that type of foundation, Jesus would say, it does not happen just simply by listening. It doesn't happen by simply understanding. It doesn't simply happen by knowing more about God. It happens when we put into practice the things that God has told us to do. It happens, the the, the, Jesus would say, the solid foundation, the only solid foundation for your life is not in understanding, is not in believing, it is not in knowing, is not, as, is not in listening. It is simply in putting into practice the things that are not simple, but the things are, that are profound truths that God has for us. Because Jesus liked to give people both sides of the equation, he would then go on, he would then go on to help us understand what happens on the other side of this. He said this in verse 26, but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. And here's Jesus's implication. You can listen and be a fool. You can hear and end up a fool. You can understand and believe and still end up a fool. If you only focus on belief, if you only focus on listening, if you only focus on understanding, but you never put your belief into practice, you have built your house wrong. And you have built your faith on a foundation that can be easily shaken and easily washed away. And Jesus tells us what we all know happens to the person who builds their house on sand. He says, when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. 
See, Jesus said this, if you want your life to crash, which none of us want our life to crash, if you want your faith to fall apart, which none of us want our faith to fall apart, if you want your trust in God to not be able to weather the storms of life, and none of us want that type of faith, none of us want the faith that falls apart when the storms of life come. He says, if you, but if, if, if you want that to happen, then just build your life on just hearing, just listening, just understanding, just believing. And the implication, as I, as I read it, is simply this, that all of those things are good. There's nothing, I mean, there's no wrong, and these things are valuable, listening and understanding and knowing and believing. These are good things. These are good things. But the implication, as I read it, is that they can give a false sense of security to your life, that those things are the walls of life, not the foundation. Jesus said the foundation is found in the practice. The foundation is found in applying what he has taught. The foundation is found in putting into practice the things that we are taught, the instructions that we are given, the commands that we are given, the way we are told this is how life and, and love and how marriage and parenting and, and how society and all those things are supposed to work. Putting into practice the things that we have been taught and the things that we have been told and the things that we've been instructed and the things that we've been commanded. The foundation is found in the practice. If you want something better, something that does not fold and does not fall apart, it comes with practicing what God has taught us, what Jesus taught us, with the words that we have been given, the, the, the things that we have been told to put into practice. And then he said this. So it, then, it, then it says this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed. Use that same word that was used about Jesus earlier. The crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. You want to know what made Jesus' teaching stand out to the crowds? Their teachers expected them to know more. Jesus actually expected them to hear his simple but profound and challenging truth and put them into practices. Their religious teachers, their religious leaders wanted them to know more and to understand more and to, and to believe more. Jesus wanted them to actually do more. Jesus wanted them to do, some, to do something. What, it's, what Jesus, it's what sets Jesus apart from every teacher of his day. It's what still sets Jesus apart from every teacher of today. It, it, it actually, Jesus, over time, actually developed such a reputation for expecting people to do something that it caused problems when he wasn't necessarily telling people to do something. In, uh, in John chapter 8, while Jesus is answering questions in the middle of, of the sand, he, in, in the middle of this religious gathering, he's answering questions about himself and who he is and where he came from, and people are... And, and and he talks, he equates himself with God the Father. He says, I'm the Son, you know, I only do what the Father is saying. That people, like, people so assume that, like, would, well, Jesus, he teaches and then expects people to do something because he's calling himself God. He must, he must be about to tell people to bow down and worship to him and stop the sacrifices and all this kind of stuff. And he was, like, he's, he had this, such a reputation for expecting people to do something that Jesus, that they actually picked stones up because, to stone him because they were worried he was about to tell people to start worshiping and to bow down to him and the, the sacrificial system was over right there in that moment. See, the, here's the thing about, about, belief, about, about this. See, your belief matters. In, in everything I'm saying, I do not want people to think, well, Chris doesn't think belief matters. I think belief matters big time. I think what you believe matters a huge deal. What we believe matters about, it shapes who we are. It shapes how we approach God. It shapes our view of how we approach other people. Everything about your belief matters. But here's what I would say, and here's what I believe Jesus would say to us in, in response to that. I do not believe that belief doesn't matter. Your belief matters. Your belief matters, what I believe Jesus would say. And what I'm trying to say is this, that your belief matters as much as you put it into practice. 
that your belief matters as much as you put it into practice. That belief without action doesn't really matter all that much. That real belief, faith that wants to grow, should drive you and me to action, to follow out and to walk out and to live out the things that God wants us to live out, that Jesus instructed, that God has commanded us to do. And now here's the thing, throughout the course of my lifetime, and the reason I think this is so important, throughout the course of my lifetime, I have been a part of churches that focus big time on belief, and I've been focuses, and I've been a part of churches that focus big time on, on taking the extra step to make sure that people knew and had a baseline understanding of how to put into practice the, the things that we have been told by God to do in Scripture. One, one kind of church that says, here's what you need to know, and one kind of church says, well, here's what you need to know, and here's how you, and here's how you actually put it into practice. And I can tell you with a million percent certainty that in my life, the places and the times and the stretches of my life where I've grown the most have all come when I was surrounded by the people who took the extra step and went the extra mile to make sure that we had a baseline understanding and had a good idea of how to put into practice the very things that we were being taught, how to respond and how to respond to God and the things that we were taught to believe, how to actually respond to the gospel, how to respond to the authority of God. What do we do in response to those things? How do we respond? How do we put into practice the things that God has taught us about marriage? How do we put into practice the things that God has taught us about purity? How do we put into practice the things that God has taught us about so many different areas of life and work and in leadership and all those types of things? Without fail, the places in my life that I have grown the most, the stretches and seasons in my life that I've grown the most, all came when I was connected to those places where there's an emphasis on practical teaching. So you want to know how to, how to, how to leverage the idea of practical teaching and the value of practical teaching to allow God to grow your faith? Here's the big principle. You stay connected to ministries that emphasize practical teaching. You stay connected to ministries that emphasize practical teaching. And here's the thing. Like, I know that probably sounds a little self-serving because our approach is, as, as a church, is to focus on practical teaching, is to emphasize practical teaching. And I'll say two things about that. Number one is I didn't choose and we didn't choose this approach because it's easy or it's because my favorite. Matter of fact, sometimes this makes life much more difficult. There are things that we actually have to talk about. There are things that we have to talk about in an application setting that sometimes get very difficult and sometimes are, are very tense and sometimes things that, that actually cause a lot of tension and a lot, of, a lot of conflict with me and other people. And they're like, this is not an easier approach. This is not something we chose because this is easier. We chose this because we believe this is actually best. We believe this is best for you. We believe this is best for you in growing your faith. We believe that practical teaching grows your faith. We didn't choose it because it's our favorite. We didn't choose it because it's easy. We choose, chose it because even though it's more difficult sometimes, we believe it's what's best for you because it's what best helps grow your faith and your trust in God. And here's the other thing I think is so important to understand. Like I know that Mo Movement Church won't be the church for everyone in for everyone forever. Like it just, it just won't. People move to new cities for work reasons. People graduate from college and move away for their first jobs. People move to new cities for family reasons. People move. So, so with that said, chances are many of you at some point in your life, you'll move to a new city and you'll need to find a new church at some point. And when you're looking, one of the things that I would hope that you place high on the list of what matters for you when selecting a new church is simply this. Do they emphasize practical teaching? Is it, is it here's what to believe or here's what to believe and here's how we respond to our belief? Here's, here's how we, what we believe and here's what we put into practice. There is a difference when it comes to your faith and when it comes to growing your faith. I hope that you would always keep it high on the list that I want to stay connected to a ministry that is high 
on practical teaching that emphasizes practical teaching in a big way. Because if you want to grow, grow your faith and if you want your faith to continually grow, if you want your faith to grow for a lifetime, you just simply need to make sure that you're surrounded by people and placing yourself in an environment that emphasizes practical teaching. See, this is why in our church, virtually every message that I ever preach, at some point in the message or some point in discussing different passages, I will say something along the lines of this. Well, so here's how we live that out. Or if you want to know a good place to start in putting this into practice, or, or let me put some handles on this for you so you have an idea of what to do with this, or, or here's how this plays out in real life. Those are the moments of application. Those are the moments of practical. And so if you're wondering, like, well, when, like, how do we know when we're getting practical teaching? Every Sunday in our church, you're getting practical teaching. Every Sunday online, you're getting practical teaching. Every, every, every time you listen to a message in our church, you're going to be getting practical teaching because this is something we value, not just to believe, but to know how to believe and put it into practice. Now, here's the thing. Not everyone loves this approach. Not everyone loves this approach. I have been told that this approach quenches the Spirit of God. I have been told that we, I mean, we have had people who were, who were at one point a part of our church, lifelong followers of Jesus who have left the church because they didn't want anyone telling them how to live out Scripture, which I thought was really interesting. You know, like, like it's kind of the role of a pastor. That's an interesting thing to say. I don't want anyone telling me how to, how to live out Scripture. We've had people leave the church because we place too much emphasis on doing and not enough on believing in their mind. But he Here's what I know and why we have never strayed from what we believe is most helpful in growing a deep, strong, abiding, living faith. People who want to grow their trust in God grow trust by practicing what God said. People who actually want to grow their trust in God grow trust in God by practicing what God said. When you put into practice what God tells us to do, you find out that God was right. This is how we grow our trust. This is how practical teaching grows our trust. When you put into practice what God tells us to do, you find out, whoa, God was right. And when you realize that he's right, you realize that he can be trusted. See, your trust grows every time you practice what God says and discover that God knows what God is talking about. That's why we place such a high value on practical teaching, because practical teaching helps you know what you should be putting into practice. And when you put into practice, you find out that God was right. And when you realize that God was right, you understand that God can be trusted. Let me, let me give you a few examples of this. In Ephesians, Paul tells husbands and wives to submit to one another. Now, men, let me just acknowledge something that I think all of us would agree with. We all like to skip over verse 1 where it says, submit to one another. We like to skip to verse 2 where Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands. But before he says, wives, submit to your husbands, he says, submit to one another. Right? So, 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 so we're, we're taught, husbands, wives, we're supposed to submit to one another. We submit to one another. I submit to you. You submit to me. I submit to you. You submit to me. And what he means, we, we put each other's needs first. We put each other's desires first, even if it costs us something of our own desires, even if it costs us something of ourselves. We put each other first. That's how, that's the value of mutual submission. And let me just say what I, what I know and what I, what I know in my own life, what I know in your life, what I know Jalen believes, what I know, you know, what I know is, is, is a firm part of this. No one wants to submit to their spouse, right? Like not one of us like grows up going, man, you know what I can't wait to do someday? I'm going to get married and I'm going to start submitting. Like, like, that, like that's not part of the, the goal or part of the dream. None of us want to do that. But here's the thing, in your marriage, in your marriage, if you've ever had some struggles, if you've ever had some difficult times, if you've had this approach, and if you actually look to that verse and you understand what Jesus is saying, that, what, what Jesus is saying, what God is saying through Paul, saying submit to one another out of love. Submit to one out of reverence for Christ. Like, if we actually put that into practice, like, let's say, okay, I don't, I don't want to do that, but let's say you decide, okay, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try this. And so for this next week or these two weeks or this one month, we're really gonna try to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
And so we're going to put each other's needs first. I'm going to put their needs before my needs. I'm going to put their needs for my needs. I'm going to put the, and, and, and it goes and it goes back and forth both ways. And here's here's what here's what I know you'll find. At the end of whatever period that you try that you set as the trial period for that time, you will find that your marriage is stronger. You will find that mutual submission that God taught us actually makes marriage better. You you will find I, I just I I guarantee it. You will discover that. You will find that. You will find that. And what happens as a result of that? Your marriage is better for following God's teaching on marriage that you don't want to do, that you didn't want to do. But when you find out that God's teaching on marriage that you didn't want to do actually made your marriage better as a result of that, you go, whoa, God was right. God was right about doing something that I didn't want to do. And next time God tells you to do something that you don't necessarily want to do, you're a little bit quicker to believe and to listen and to follow because your trust has grown. Let's talk about another one. Treat others how you want to be treated. Let me just say it again. None of us want to treat others how we would want to be treated. We want to treat others how we want to treat others. We want to treat others according to how we think they deserve to be treated. None of us wants to treat others how we would want to be treated. But here's the here's, here's what you know. Treating others how you think they deserve to be treated hasn't ever made your relationships better. It hasn't made your relationships at home better. It hasn't made your relationships with your neighbors better. It hasn't made your relationships with your adult parents better. It hasn't made your relationships at work any better. It hasn't made a single relationship any better treating people how you think they deserve to be treated. And so again, what if for just one week you decided, okay, this week I'm going to do my best to treat people how I would want to be treated if I was in their shoes. Here's what you would do. You would show more compassion, you would exercise more patience, and you would forgive quicker than you usually would. You also may actually have some conversations that you've been avoiding. You've been being passive aggressive and you would actually have the conversation. Here's what I know. At the end of the week, you would feel closer to the people in your life. Your friendships are stronger. Your workplace relationships are better because you put into practice what Jesus said. And again, oh my gosh, I put into practice what Jesus said that I didn't want to do and it made my life better. It strengthened my life. It strengthened the relationships in my life. People are close. I, not only are, do people feel more comfortable around me, but I actually feel closer and more connected to the people around me. And here's the thing, again, when you have that moment where you go, I followed Jesus in something that I didn't want to do and in something that did not come naturally to me. Next time that you're told to do something that you don't want to do, you're a little quicker to follow and to obey. Again, because your trust has grown. This is why it's important to put into practice, to have practical teaching and to put into practice what we are taught and what we are to believe. Because if we don't put it into practice, we miss out on the understanding of why God would tell us to do this. And, we are in, in, and, and our faith does not grow. But when you put it into practice, your faith grows. When you reach the other side of obedience and see God do what only God can do through the things that we don't want to do. That's why I'm so committed to practical teaching. That's why it's an emphasis in our main services. That's why in our kids' environments, we don't just tell kids to love one another, but they get real life on the playground, at the lunch table, in their virtual classroom examples of how to actually love other people because we're committed to practical teaching because we know on the other side of practical teaching, if we put it into practice, our faith grows as we see God faithfully respond to our response to him and to his word, and to his teaching, and to his instructions. And here's the other side of this, what makes this so valuable and so important. And if we miss this, we miss out on, on why this can be so helpful in our lives. See, without practical teaching, good Bible can turn bad quick. You're like, wait, 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 
The Bible can turn bad. Good Bible, the Bible is good, but it can turn bad in our lives pretty quick. Let me give a couple examples. See, husbands are the head of the household, right? Like there, there's verses in the Bible that teach that the husband is supposed to be the head of the household. And if we simply teach that and we say, believe that, without helping people understand that this is not simply a position of authority, um, but a position of responsibility, that can get toxic real quick. See, we've all seen this. We've all seen this. I call this the Christian jerk husband. This is the entitled Christian jerk husband. Hopefully you're not this. Hopefully you're not married to one. This is the Christian jerk husband who has a position where they feel entitled to be served. They feel entitled to have everyone listen, where they feel entitled to make every single decision. The husband who does not want responsibility but wants to have his way all the time, who doesn't want to serve but wants to be served, and he uses the Bible verse as a way to get his way and look for his best interest, is using the Bible to do what the Bible never said. See, if you only help people know the verses, know the verses without knowing how to properly apply them, yikes. Yikes. This is why practical teaching is important because if we teach the husband is the head of the household, we have to follow it up with, here's what that means. And husbands, this means you actually have more responsibility, not just more entitlement. This means you're actually called to serve more, not just to be served. This means that you're actually called to lay down your life in the best interest of the family, not just to use the verse in order to get your way within the family. We have to teach how this, how this applies. Let me give one more example. In Luke 6, 38, it says, Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. Woo! See, if we simply teach that verse, especially in that type of tone with that type of emphasis, if we simply teach that verse but don't help people know how to properly apply it, you want to know what you get? You get prosperity gospel snake oil salesmen who convince people that if you give God 10, he'll return to you $100. If you give God 100, he'll return to you 1,000. If you give God 1,000, just imagine, he'll give you 10,000. If you give God 10,000, he'll give you 100,000. If you give God $100,000, you know what you get? A million dollars. You just buy this miracle penny and you'll close all the best deals in your life. You make the most sales you ever had. Like this is what people do that if, if we, that because if you teach people just, hey, here's the verse, you interpret it for yourself, figure out how to live it out for yourself. People can easily be manipulated into, play, into placing things wrong and it can be incredibly, incredibly easily abused. You see, that is not what this verse means. That's not what this means. It, but if it's taught without, without the added benefit of here's what to do with that, you give freely knowing that God will supply all of your needs. That verse can be abused really fast. And if you, so here's the thing, again, if you only help people know the verses without knowing how to properly apply them, again, yikes, it can end up bad so quickly. And what happens then is people lose faith in God, that trust diminishes because, well, what I was taught and what I believed didn't come to pass because what you believed was never supposed to come to pass because it wasn't, because you weren't taught how to put it into practice properly. So you already know this. If the Bible is taught as something to believe, but we don't help people know how to practice it, it can end up doing more harm than good. And we want to do, through Movement Church, we want to do as much good as possible. And I want you to soak up as much good as possible now and for the rest of your life. Because at the end of the day, here's what's true. Here's what's true. The power of what God says is discovered by practicing it in everyday life. 
The power of what God says is discovered by practicing it in everyday life. It's found by putting God's instruction into practice and finding out that God knows what he's talking about. It's found on the other side of our obedience of things that we didn't want to do, but find out that they were the best. On the other side of that, our faith grows, our trust grows, our dependency on God grows. It's spiritual growth, and it can happen now, and it can last a lifetime. And that's what God has wanted for you and what God has wanted for me all along. So let's lean into practical teaching. Let's stay connected to environments and to places and ministries that focus on and emphasize practical teaching because it helps to grow your faith. And that's what God wants for you. And that's what God wants for me. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much again that you are so good. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that we can know you because of what you have done for us. Thank you that that Jesus, what he did, as we said earlier, that he came to raise the standard of human behavior, that he raised it so high that none of us could ever, ever measure up. And then he died so that all of us who could never measure up could still know you. God, I I simply pray that in response to what Jesus has done, in response to his grace, that we would also follow him in his truth in your truth. God, that we would live out and put into practices the things that you have taught us, the things that you have displayed for us, the things that you exemplified, and the things that you have straight up instructed and commanded us to do. Help us to put them into practice. God, help us to be like the wise builder who doesn't just build on understanding and listening and hearing and all of that, but simply chooses to live out what we believe and to put into practice what you have taught us. God, help us to do this. Help us to have wisdom to know what it is we're supposed to do with what we've just heard. Help us to always have wisdom to know what to do with what we hear. And God, help us to have the courage to actually put it into practice. God, I know that's something that I pray almost every week. It's something that I pray in my life almost every single day. God, because I want to be the wise builder. I want, to be a, I want my life to be a life that's built on a solid foundation. So God, help me to always know what to, know what to do, have the wisdom to know what to do, and the courage to actually put it into practice. Help us to stay connected to ministries that emphasize practical teaching. Help us to listen well so that we know well what to do. And God, would you use these moments, would you use teaching, would you use our kids' environments and our youth environments and our main service environments and our small group environments to help people know how to put into practice the things that you want us to put into practice. We love you, God. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.